This morning's text will come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If it is your custom to stand during the reading of the Gospel, I encourage you to do so now. And the text reads, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The title of this morning's sermon is The Samaritan Neighborhood. The Samaritan Neighborhood. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Amen. As a kid, I was, uh, there was this show on television uh, with this man who would sing songs and play with puppets and toys to teach children how to be good to one another and to be welcoming to people they did not know. The show was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers was beloved by millions of families for years and years. When I became an adult and had my own kids, Mr. Rogers was long off the air, but someone new was playing the role in a new way in the form of Daniel Tiger's neighborhood. The song Mr. Rogers would sing is retained in the new version, I was happy to learn. The song you probably know very well. 
It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? You know that song. I have one of the greatest neighbors in the world. He lives across the street from my family and his name is Marvin. Marvin is the type of neighbor that offers his help anytime he thinks you may need it. Once I was moving some heavy items into my backyard, Marvin saw me struggling, struggling mightily, and he ran over to help me. Marvin showed up one Saturday morning with a box of donuts for my family, no particular reason, just because. Marvin gifted my kids school supplies in the middle of the school year last year. Marvin gifted my two uh, girls brand new bikes about three months ago. Marvin should be doing State Farm commercials. Like a good neighbor, Marvin seems to always be there. In a time when many of us don't even know our neighbors, we don't know them and we don't even know their names, I have a neighbor who makes me smile every time I think of him. Without question, Marvin is my favorite neighbor. Marvin is not my only neighbor. We have other neighbors. Some of them are very friendly. Others are not so friendly. To be honest, we know very little about most of our neighbors. I have a general idea of how many folks live in the house and if they have kids or not. Two doors down to the right is a couple in their 60s who are Jehovah Witnesses. Across the street and two houses over to the left is a family who are Muslims. I also noticed that there seem to be uh, the only family in the neighborhood who uses an electric lawnmower. There is another neighbor who, uh, two doors down to the left, who is single and doesn't really talk to anybody. Even when we wave while driving down the street, she still does not acknowledge us. When we go on walks, there is this neighbor a few doors down who has a, a pit bull. My wife and I walk across the street on the other side so we don't come into contact with that pit bull who's inside but the door is open and she has that glass door and you, the pit bull sees us and runs towards that door and I just know one day he's going to break that sucker and he's going to come and looking for one of us. We have our thoughts and opinions about all of these neighbors. We make judgments about what type of people they are based on how neat their yard is, who we see going in and out of their house, the kind of car they drive, how long it takes them to pull their trash cans to the back of the house after trash has been picked up. We keep those thoughts to ourselves, mostly, but we do tailor our behavior based on those thoughts. Sometimes we're aware of this fact and sometimes we're not. That's what we call 
implicit bias. It's the thing we think before filtering, and if we aren't careful, we can behave in surprisingly negative ways because of them. In the text for today, we encounter Jesus being questioned by a lawyer. The lawyer is there to test Jesus as the text says. He's likely seen and heard of Jesus prior. He has his own thoughts and opinions about Jesus, and so the conversation seems to be a bit superficial to me. This lawyer obviously knows the answer to the question he's asking Jesus. In fact, that's one of the rules for lawyers. Good lawyers do not ask questions they don't already know the answers to. And this lawyer likely already has strong views and opinions about Jesus and knows exactly what he wants to ask and likely thinks he knows what Jesus will say in response. But Jesus is not playing these kinds of games with him. Instead of answering the question, Jesus asks the lawyer to tell him what the law says. The lawyer gives the known answer. Jesus then confirms that the lawyer knows what the law says. But it becomes clear that while the lawyer knows what the law says, he doesn't understand what it means or how, how broadly it applies. The lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? To this, Jesus offers an analogy. He began to tell the story about the man who was robbed, stripped, beaten, and left for dead. While this man was lying on the ground, dying, people were walking by, ignoring him. He's likely a Jewish man who included in those, uh, included in those who ignored the man dying on the road. A priest, a Levite who likely also worked in the temple, they saw the man dying on the side of the road. They knew he was in a bad situation, but likely had these thoughts in their minds about this man. They may have had thoughts in their minds about why he was there, how he got there. Maybe even he deserved what had happened to him. They had these thoughts that helped them rationalize why they were going to go across and pass on the other side. But one person, one person stopped. That person was one of the most despised categories of people in this Jewish community. A Samaritan. Jesus knew that Samaritans were despised by the community and likely by this lawyer as well. Jesus knew that they had a negative bias against Samaritans because they were seen as essentially mixed bloods. They were the products of the mixing of Jews in the nations who conquered them prior to the point that they didn't retain much of their Jewish heritage. So they were shunned, ignored, and ridiculed. It was one of them 
who saw this likely Jewish man dying on the side of the road. The Samaritan not only stopped, but whatever he had planned to do, wherever he had planned to go, whoever he had planned to see was interrupted because the man dying on the side of the road was more important. He saw that man as his neighbor and he could not just keep walking. He decided to be a neighbor. Jesus is delivering a point here. Our neighbors include people like Marvin, who is kind to us, goes out of his way to be good to us, and who is easy to love and appreciate. But it also includes the other folks, too. It includes folks who hate us, folks who we really, really dislike, folks who think differently, believe differently, and behave differently, even those who don't live next door. The Samaritan lived at least 60 miles away. That's not generally who we would count as a neighbor, but this Samaritan thought of his neighborhood in a different way. It's not just the folks who live right next to me. It's not just the folks who live in my section of the city of Atlanta. It's not just the folks who live off of my exit. It is not just the folks who live inside of the 64 miles of 285. It is not just the folks who live in Fulton County. It is not just the folks who live in the state of Georgia. It is not just the folks who live in the Southeast. It is not just the folks who live in the United States. It is not just the folks who call themselves United Methodists. It is not just the neighborhood is larger than we've been thinking. The neighborhood is larger than we've been thinking and this Samaritan's neighborhood is quite large. What does it mean to count someone as a neighbor who lives 60 miles away? The majority of people who live 60 miles north or south or east and west from here are very different. Some of them worship differently, speak different languages, they certainly vote differently. What does it mean to count them as neighbors? It is common to see ourselves as competing, really. We compete with one another for resources, for jobs, for opportunities, for businesses to bring into our, how we see, our neighborhood. What's not common is to hold those who are different from us in such high regard that we sacrifice our own time and money and desires for theirs. When I look out on the world, I see people who are getting less and less neighborly all over the country.
Just a few weeks ago, a young man, 22 years old, had such low regard for human life that he destroyed the lives of tons of people by firing 70 rounds of bullets before leading officers on a chase. He was finally arrested without a single shot being fired by officers. He shot 70 rounds, killing seven. He was labeled armed and dangerous, and fortunately, the officers needed zero rounds to arrest him alive. Did the shooter see those at that Independence Day parade as neighbors? Those officers certainly saw him as a neighbor in spite of what he'd done to the neighborhood. About a week before that, a young man, 25 years old, in Ohio, didn't kill anyone. But he also led officers on a chase. He did have a gun in his car, but took off running without it. Unlike the young man in Illinois, this young man in Ohio was not arrested. No, officers shot at him around 90 times, hitting him about 60 times and killing him. Did these officers see this young man as a neighbor? We don't have to look all over the country. I can look right here in the city of Atlanta and in this state. People who are our neighbors are hurting and other neighbors are doing the hurting. I read a report of a man in Fulton County who killed a Subway sandwich maker because she put too much mayo on his sandwich. I'm not making this up. I read about another man in Floyd County who beat up his grandmother so he could steal her weed eater. We're hearing about people who get into petty arguments with folks in grocery stores, at gas stations, and other places who do not see one another as neighbors, and one of them uses deadly force to kill or harm the other. People seem to be losing their minds up in here, up in here. We have folks who make laws to disenfranchise their neighbors. We have folks who spend enormous amounts of time to find ways to exclude their neighbors from involvement, participation, and engagement on various levels. Some of it is based on tiny shreds of information or even misinformation that cements their bias and emboldens their disdain for people they really don't know. This is why Jesus tells this story about the Samaritan. Did you notice that this passage is usually called the Good Samaritan Passage? Even that title shows a negative bias against Samaritans in general. It would not be titled The Good Samaritan if the community viewed all or most Samaritans in a positive light. Why must we categorize people and put them in boxes and assume that we know everything about them based on a single shred of information? I have 
come to learn that people are quite complex. No two of us is exactly alike. I had one senior pastor I worked for as an associate who would often say to us, if two people agree on everything, one of them is not necessary. If two people agree on everything, one of them is not necessary. Even identical twins who share the exact same DNA are different in some significant ways. That's not something on which to divide. It's something to embrace until we are all like Mr. Rogers, like my neighbor Marvin, and like so many other neighbors who welcome people, embrace people, love people, and go out of their way to make their neighbors near and far feel that there is at least one person in this world who cares enough about them to give them their time, to give them their concern, to share with them their love, and to treat them like a neighbor. There's a story about a woman who is approached by a stranger who asks her if she is a Christian. The woman looks up in a thoughtful way, looks at the houses along her street in a mixed neighborhood of people from all walks of life. She thinks about the people inside those homes who think differently, behave differently, who have different political signs in their yards, who have different skin color, and even a different religion. One is a single mom with five baby daddies, one who served time in prison, one who had an abortion, one who was transitioning from male to female, one who never leaves their home except to check the mail, one is a same-sex couple with two kids, one is a man who inherited his family's wealth, one is on government benefits. One woman went to Ivy League schools and makes a ton of money. One lives in a tent under the bridge near the exit ramp. One always leaves his trash can on the street two days after trash has been picked up. One of them ran against her for the HOA board position. And one is being priced out of the neighborhood because her rent has gone too high. The woman then looks at the stranger who asked her if she is a Christian. And she ponders and she thinks and considers and then she says, I don't know. Ask my neighbors. We are all neighbors. We can't possibly know how deeply Christian we are without hearing it from our neighbors. One of the hymns sung in the United Methodist Church is, we will know that we are Christians by our love. We are all family. We are all siblings, and God wants us to and expects us to act like it.
in the name of God, the Creator, Jesus, the Redeemer, and the Spirit, the Sustainer. Amen, amen, and amen. <laughs>